Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear people blessed in Jesus' name. Now it's customary at the end of an old year and the start of a new year to look back over the past year and remember everything that's happened. The joys and the sorrows, the victories and the challenges, those things that have remained the same and those things that were new. And it seems there's always so many things that have changed. But in thinking back uh, on this New Year's Day, one thing that was the same for all of us in this past year is our sin. All those coulda, shoulda, wouldas, all those ways in which we have fallen short in so many different ways, how we've sinned against and failed our spouses, our friends, and our neighbors, the many and various ways we have not done all that we should, the thoughts, words, deeds, and desires that have been soiled with sins of anger, hate, lust, greed, and envy, and how we have failed our Lord, and perhaps even taken our relationship with him for granted. And maybe those things are sticking in your mind as you've been thinking about, thinking about this year now past. Amazing thing how our minds work, right? How easy we forget about the good things we want to remember and how easily we remember the bad things that we want only to forget. But you know what? That's exactly how Satan wants it. He keeps reminding us of our failures our shortcomings, our unworthiness. He wants us to remember all those failures. And in doing so, he wants to drive us to despair and shame. Now, in response to this, many people will make New Year's resolutions to improve this year, to do better, to not fail so much. And whether or not you make a formal resolution this time of year, you have goals, plans for the upcoming year. You have in mind things you want to do or places you want to be, in the, maybe in the way of career or relationships or so forth. And it's not bad to make resolutions. It's even admirable. But the thing is, it really ultimately doesn't work. You may do some things better, but you may do other things worse. Maybe you'll start some new good habits, but those old bad habits will reappear as well. And we'll have new failures that we haven't even thought about yet. Because no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you resolve, your sinful nature will do what sinful nature does. Sin. And so as one year turns to the next, the church doesn't fix it's focus on what we do. And not, uh, it's not on our resolution or work. Instead, as we always do, we focus on Jesus. And we read in Luke 2, verse 21, that at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so it's good. It's good news for us. That the word of God directs us not back to how we have lived in this past year, but back to how our Savior 
lived for us. And specifically today, to look back uh, at his work for us in his circumcision. Because on this day, when most people are thinking about and focusing on their own priorities or commitment or resolution, today, the circumcision of our Lord proclaims to us the great promise, commitment, and resolution of our Lord for us. He would not leave us in our sin. He would not leave us to deal with it on our own. But we're given the truth that we have a Savior. And that really is ultimately what the circumcision of Jesus is all about. Back in the Old Testament, when God made a promise to Abraham and told him that the Savior would be one of his descendants, the Lord gave Abraham a sign of this covenant, circumcision. Not for them to do something for God, but to remember that God was doing something for them. To remember that God was with them, that God was saving them, and to keep their faith focused not on, them, not on themselves, but on God. And so every time a male child was born and circumcised on the eighth day, they would remember and celebrate God's work and God's promise. And so today, in remembering and celebrating Jesus' circumcision, we do the same. We remember and we celebrate God's word and promise fulfilled for us. Yet, not only is Jesus circumcised on the eighth day, he's also given his name, the name that the angel revealed to Joseph. And while names today aren't so much filled with meaning, this one most certainly is. Jesus, which means the Lord is our salvation. Yahweh saves. For in Jesus, Abraham's seed, our Savior, has come. And with his circumcision, he's already beginning his, the work that his name proclaims to save his people from their sins. For not only is Jesus one with us in our flesh, as we celebrated last Sunday on Christmas Day, today he becomes one with us under the law to fulfill it all perfectly in our place. That what we are unable to do, he does as our substitute. And the first requirement was his circumcision on the eighth day. That's why the early church fathers would say that with his circumcision, Jesus gives us the down payment of his blood. And that this is the beginning of his giving of his flesh for us. The beginning of his suffering for us. Because the church fathers saw what we often neglect to see. That all that Jesus did, every last bit, he did for us. That his saving work wasn't limited to the cross and the resurrection, but that, that he took every place, he took our place in every stage of his life. From the moment of his conception to his uh, perfect life, his innocent death, being laid in the tomb, to his resurrection and ascension. All of it he did for you. In your place, as your substitute for your salvation, for the forgiveness of all of your sin, all of your failures, past, present, and future, to give you life and a future and a hope, and to set you free. Because when you think about it, sin is captivity. Sin is the captivity of Satan trying to shape and direct our lives instead of Christ. 
Sin is Satan trying to keep us captive to the past instead of being free to look forward to the future Christ has planned for us. Sin is the captivity of fear and doubt instead of the peace of Christ. Sin is the captivity of selfishness instead of the freedom of love. But today, today we hear a truth that sets us free. That our Lord in freedom made himself captive, that we who are captive might be set free. For our Lord has come to set the captives free, beginning with his circumcision. And in fulfilling the law in his perfect life, atoning for sin in his death on the cross, and bursting the bonds of death in his resurrection, we are free. We are captives no more. And joined to him, we are defined no longer by the things of this earth, the opinions of others, or the accusations of Satan. We are defined by our union with Christ. The gift of Jesus redefines your life for eternity. And that's the wonderful reality that is ours in holy baptism. For baptism is where you've been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, as Romans 6 tells us. United to Christ in all that he has done for you. Baptism is where our Lord has put his name upon you and so blessed you in ways greater than you could ever imagine. It's where he gives you his love so that you may in freedom love others. It's where he gives you his forgiveness so that you may in freedom forgive others. It's where he gives you his life so that you may, in freedom, live for others. In baptism, you have received the gift of Jesus. Now, does that mean that we're going to love, forgive, and live for others perfectly in this new year? No. You and I both know better than that. But will we do better than last year? Maybe. But the freedom that Christ gives you is not only the freedom from sin's past, but the freedom from sin future. In other words, the freedom to fail. I know that may sound funny, but it's true. Jesus has set you free not for sin, but from sin, from its captivity, to live boldly in love. Not fearing failure, but confident in his forgiveness. To live boldly. Knowing that when, not if, you fail, when you do sin, when you do fall short, when you do mess up, fear not. For you are in Christ. You have forgiveness in Christ. You are still his beloved child. He's still using you as his blessing to others. He's still working through you and is with you, doing what we are unable to do. Because remember, today is about his promise and his work, not ours. And knowing that, the turn of of a new year brings not dread or burden of new resolutions or obligations, but rather the freedom of Christ and the excitement to see what he's going to work in you and through you in this coming year. And he is able to do far more than we ask, think, or imagine. 
So as we stand on the threshold of this new year of our Lord 2023, not knowing what it will hold for each one of us, give thanks to your Savior for his work, for his never-ending love and forgiveness. For as he kept his promise and came at Christmas, and as he kept his promise and came to you in holy baptism, so now he keeps his promise and comes to you in his body and blood. The same body and blood born for you, circumcised for you, crucified for you, resurrected for you, he now gives to you for your forgiveness, life, and salvation. That he live in you and you in him. And so he is still keeping his promise to gift you with Jesus as he places his name upon you, to bless you and keep you, to make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, to lift up his countenance upon you and to give you peace. And so in a world that is filled with so much turmoil and strife, filled with sin and death, filled with uncertainty, doubts, and fears, the Lord, our salvation, gives you peace. Peace. Now, I don't know if this new year will be a happy one for you or not. We don't know. But here's what I do know. Here's what I know with absolute certainty. That this year will be a blessed one for you. For you are in Christ. This year, next year, forever. You have Jesus. And in him and in his name, you have everything. Amen.